Well, as I start this morning's sermon, I have a confession to make. Over the past several weeks, I've been pretty tough on all of you. I've been emphasizing things about our Christian life that are challenging, although they are also necessary for us as Christians, and we need to be reminded of them from time to time. Things like the dangers of cheap grace, that is, grace without any real repentance or obedience. And, on the other hand, the cost of real discipleship. How our salvation costs the very life of God's Son. And so we therefore never have a right to take it lightly or to take it for granted. How real faith requires obedience and that to be a real and true follower of Jesus means we have to put Him before everything and everyone else in our lives. Now these things are all true and they're critically important. And so we need to be reminded from time to time that this is what we are committed to as Christians. But I recognize there's a danger that if we only have a diet of the most serious and challenging aspects of our Christian faith, if we spend all of our time trying to remind ourselves how seriously we must take this, we might become dour Christians. That is, we might be people whose faith we wear as a burden, both for ourselves and frequently for everybody else around us. We have perhaps all met Christians whose very Christianity seems to make them miserable. And in many cases, they seem bent on imposing that same misery on everybody else that comes in contact with them. Well, we do not wish to be those kinds of Christians. That attitude, the sourpuss, have no fun kind of Christianity, is simply wrong. It is not biblical. It is not what we are supposed to be. It does not accurately reflect the true Christian faith the right attitude of those who have a balanced relationship with God in Christ, who understand the responsibilities that we accept when we follow Jesus, but who also understand that our God is the God who created color and music and sunsets and hummingbirds and our ability to taste wonderful foods. Our God is the God of love and of laughter. He is the God of grace and peace the God who welcomes us and gives us comfort and a sense of belonging. C.S. Lewis once brilliantly said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. And Lewis and many other of the very best Christian writers down through the centuries have celebrated the great joy and the satisfaction that we can find in Jesus. And so while we need to take our faith seriously and commit ourselves and our lives fully to Him and I will from time to time be called on to remind you of that. We still can never forget that our faith should be a thing of joy and of positive enthusiasm. We should enjoy our Christianity or we're doing it wrong. For that reason, today I'm beginning a new sermon series entitled The Great Adventure. You can see it as the flip side of the coin from the Cost of Discipleship series that I just completed. Now in this Great Adventure series... I want us to celebrate that we Christians of all people know who we are, that we are the children of God and that we can rejoice in that, that we know whom it is we believe and who we serve and why we were created and we can take great pleasure in that, that we Christians alone of all people have the assurance that we are not nor do we ever have to be alone, that we have a purpose and that that purpose is to be pursued with joy. One of the first statements of the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession, the first question is, what is the chief purpose of humanity, or the chief end of man in the old version? And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
Ultimately, we want to celebrate that we of all people have the assurance of where it is that we're headed. That we can have hope that death is not the end for us, so it is not something to be feared. That we know where we will spend eternity. And whatever grief we have in this life is just a breath. It is just a blink compared to the joy that we will experience forever. Now to begin our series, I want us to read Jesus' words in the Gospel of John from the 10th chapter, verses 9 and 10. And in this place, Jesus introduces us to the, uh, to the idea that his followers, us, are sheep. Sometimes I know what it means to be a poor dumb sheep, right? But we are the sheep of God's flock, and Jesus himself is the good shepherd. Now, to understand the imagery in these passages before I read them, you need to know that in biblical times, a shepherd would construct what was called a sheepfold. It basically was a wall of stones or tightly interwoven branches that created a pen. And at night, or times of danger, when a wolf might be about, for instance, the sheep would retreat into the sheepfold, and then at nighttime, the shepherd, to protect the sheep, would, would lie across the doorway. So nothing could get to the sheep without first waking him up. The door, that doorway that the shepherd slept in was the only opening in the wall. So in effect, the shepherd became the door. And the sheep were both given the protection they needed inside the sheepfold, but they also, when there was no danger about, they had access to the pastures and the fresh water and the things outside the sheepfold under the protection of the shepherd. Hello, bird. So in this way, the shepherd could provide both protection and nourishment for the sheep. And this is the image that Jesus gives us, with himself as the shepherd and us as the sheep whom he both protects and he provides for. So now let us read John 10, 9 and 10 together. Hear this, which is the word of the Lord. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May God bless this reading of his word. Here Jesus makes an extraordinary promise. He promises he will both protect us and he will provide for us, as a shepherd does for his sheep. But even more, Jesus tells us that the very reason he came to earth, the reason why the Son of God chose to be born as a human baby and grow into a human man, was to share our humanity and then give us life, and not just life, but life abundantly. Now here Jesus is not talking about eternal life, at least that's not the only thing he's talking about. He means that as well, but he's primarily here talking about the fact that his followers can have abundant life now, as well as for eternity. Jesus came so that we might have the joy of his salvation and experience him as part of our life now, and in doing so, experience abundance now, this translation, if you're looking at your NIV Bibles, which is, are the Bibles in the pew racks, or the chair racks, um, I use a different translation. I use the New American Standard translation here because I agree with the word they use, abundant, that Jesus has promised us abundant life. Abundant means richly provided for, well-supplied, over-sufficient, marked by great plenty. This is the kind of life that God intends for us in Jesus Christ, that we have a life that is well-supplied, over-sufficient, marked by great plenty. Some translations, like the NIV, 
will use Jesus, will say Jesus' words as, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. A full life. Either way, it's clear that Jesus is not talking here about a miserly, disgruntled, sourpuss, have no fun kind of Christianity. Christians should be the first to be able to laugh and to enjoy. We should have the best parties of all because we were given abundance in our life. Jesus is talking here about a Christian life that is marked by an overabundance of good things, a life that is a celebration, a life that is a great adventure. Now, the great saints of the Lord have gotten this. They have understood it. They've understood that whatever our temporary physical circumstances might be, the true followers of Jesus are living the great adventure of the one true faith with the one true Lord. That life is an adventure, that joy is truly the default mode for Christian believers. We should by nature be joyful in how we experience our lives. And when we really get this, when we really understand and accept that Jesus provides us with abundant life, once it really sinks in, then nothing else can or ever will really impress us or frighten us again. Because once we realize that the Lord of the whole universe has promised us an abundant life, we have no reason to fear anything. We have no reason to be overly impressed by anything else that the world might offer. Now, another way to understand life lived to the full or an abundant life is that it means a life that is real as opposed to a life that is simply lived on the surface, a one-dimensional life. One that is not solid or substantial or meaningful. Life in God is solid. It is substantial. It is three-dimensional. And it has meaning. Life in Jesus is the only real three-dimensional life there is. In a very real way, Christianity is the only real game in town. Everything else is a charade. Everything else is false. I'm sure you all know the movie The Matrix, right? If anybody doesn't know The Matrix, again, come to Pastor's Forum. I'll explain it to you. But in the Matrix, people, uh, the, the good guys discover that people think they're living real lives when in fact they're all asleep. In fact, they're all drugged. And that all of what they think is their real life is simply an illusion. It's a kind of make-believe. And they must choose the hard path to try to break out of that in order to find reality. I think that's a really good analogy of what human life is like. Most people go through life pretty much asleep or drugged. They don't experience real life. They don't have contact with reality until they come to Jesus and understand what real life, abundant life, full life is all about. And the fact is that for many people, when they do realize, as people often do, that their lives apart from God are not real, that they're not substantial in any way, that everything is superficial and false in their lives, that it's a kind of make-believe, when they begin to realize that they are not living in reality, for many people, they can't handle it. I think this is one of the reasons that many people find despair in their lives. For so many people, for instance, who try to gain wealth or fame or notoriety of one kind or another, and then they achieve it, and then they discover there is nothing there. And in their despair, they turn to addiction or unhealthy relationships or even suicide to try to help them deal with the fact that everything they thought was real 
does not satisfy. This is why we have, um, you may be aware of Club 28. Club 28 is the number of celebrities, especially artists, musical artists and others, who have committed suicide at 28. People like Janis Joplin and, and various others. 28 seems to be the age at which many young people, especially in the music industry, when they become famous, when they gain all the notoriety, when they get everything they thought they wanted, the wealth and the attention, and then they discover there is nothing there, and they end up killing themselves. Often, I mean, there are other reasons why people commit suicide, but I believe often it is because people reach the point where they've gotten everything they thought would be meaningful to them, and there is nothing behind it. And there is nothing else for them than to live for. But for the Christian, for us, for the man and woman who has met the real Jesus and chosen to follow him, the world is a very different place. Okay, if you don't know The Matrix, I'm sure you do know another movie reference, The Wizard of Oz. And in The Wizard of Oz, you know, the movie starts out in, in a very subdued black and white when Dorothy is still in Kansas. And then the twister comes and the house is, you know, in the tornado and the whole thing. And when she lands and she walks out, what happens? It's all in full color. The suggestion being clearly that in the land of Oz, it was in many ways actually more real because it is in full color compared to her previous life, which was in black and white. And again, I think that's an analogy for what the Christian life is like. That we, before we know Jesus, we are in a semi-darkness, a superficial world. And then when we meet Jesus, when we accept him, when we become his follower, we step out into the abundant life that Jesus has promised, and it is like stepping into full color for the first time in our lives. This, I believe, is part of what Jesus meant when he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away and new things have come. We now have a full color view of the world that we did not have before and that those who do not know Jesus have never yet experienced. We were intended for a new kind of life, a life full of color, a substantial life, a real life, an abundant life of joy, a life that is a great adventure. It doesn't necessarily require that you all take to parrot jumping or whatever it is on the cover of your bulletin, but it is an adventure. And that life is only found in Jesus. But I want to make sure that you understand that when I'm talking about the abundant life, I am not talking primarily here about material prosperity. That's how many prosperity preachers and many immature Christians think we are to understand prosperity and abundant life. The abundant life is not about what we have. It is not about what we get or what we claim. Ultimately, abundant life is about what we are given, what we receive as a gift from the Lord. Now, it may include that God will give us material blessings. God can do that if he chooses, but that's not primarily what it means. I think quite often the issue of whether or not God will bless us with material blessings is whether or not we can handle those material blessings from God without losing our way because of them. God loves us enough and he knows us well enough to know whether he can bless us materially with money or material possessions without it doing us harm. He knows us well enough to know that for many of us, if he were to bless us with too much wealth or too much material possessions, it would ruin us. That would become our focus. And so he chooses in love not to bless, 
He can, but most often in my experience, he does not. No, an abundant life, a full life, as we're told in Scripture, refers primarily to the Christian life that is abounding in fullness of joy and strength for the spirit and mind and body. Abundant life is contrary to the very common feelings of lack and emptiness and dissatisfaction and despair that far too many people experience today. The very feelings that sometimes motivate people to find real meaning in life. So because Christianity is real and it's exciting in a way that no other life can be without Jesus at the center, because Christianity has a unique claim to joy, then the Christian life is or should be a great adventure. And in the weeks ahead, I want us to explore this adventure in all its aspects. All the ways in which we need to be excited, that we need to find joy. One of my great heroes, G.K. Chesterton, said that we should not only give thanks for, for being able to walk, but we need to give thanks for the ability to walk in flowers. We need to be in awe of red post boxes. He was English. We need to, everything around us needs to give us joy. And Chesterton also said gratitude should be the natural state of the Christian. Once we understand that life in Jesus is a great adventure, that it is the life of abundance, that it is the life of joy, we can find a life of gratitude in that, whatever our particular physical circumstances are. And that's what I want us to explore in the weeks ahead. So I hope you will be with us and join us in that great adventure. Amen. We now come to our time of pastoral prayer in which we both thank God and we ask for his favor on our world, our neighbors, and ourselves. So let us pray together. Almighty God, we thank you that you truly are a God of mercy, that you make every day new through the glory of your risen Son, Jesus. And we especially thank you for the sustaining love you provide to us through family and friends, for the joy that we can have in our life, for the fellowship of faith that we can share in this, your church. So merciful God, we ask today that you might renew this weary world, heal the hurts of your children, and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus, the living Lord. We especially pray for the church of Jesus Christ in every land, thinking especially of those places, and they seem to be growing, Lord, those places where there is not the freedom to openly acknowledge you, where persecution is the response that people receive for naming the name of Jesus. And we would ask that you would be giving ever greater strength and comfort to those who are persecuted and yet stand for your name in the face of that persecution. We ask, Father, that you would bless all of the churches here at Lakeside, whatever their denomination, if they proclaim the name of Jesus, we ask for your blessing on their, their ministers and their staff and on their congregations, that they would see more the face of Jesus every day. And we ask, Lord, that you would give all of us here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church the will and the wisdom to be ever more visible as your children in this community, that we who represent the body of your son Jesus will be seen, and that because of that, people will desire a greater knowledge of you and come to love and serve your son. We pray especially right now for the needs of our brothers and sisters in our community, our church, and our families. We pray for Grace Contratus that you would give a definite diagnosis for the pain that she's experiencing and give a reduction of the pain in her back and healing. We pray for uh, Samantha Hall that she would have a healthy delivery of her child on the 19th and that you would guide the hands of those who assist her in that delivery and that both Samantha and her baby would be well. 
We pray for improved health for Nelda's grandson, Dominic, that you would be touching and healing. And we pray for successful surgery and continued healing for Al Ross, that you would be particularly healing in that situation. We ask, Father, for your blessing and wisdom as we seek to assist Esmeralda in her release from prison. Those that know her so well and are so convinced of her innocence, we desire with them for you to see Esmeralda released from that prison. And Father, we ask for traveling mercies for, for the family of uh, Donaviki and that they would have safe travel. For all of these and other needs that we may not even be aware of, Father, we lift them to you. We ask for all those who are suffering pain, illness, depression, grief, or sorrow, that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to those needs to lighten burdens, to drive away shadows, and to bring your love and encouragement, whatever the specific needs might be. Mighty God, you are a God of mercy, and we ask you to hear our prayers as we seek to serve you and as we await the great day of your fulfilling redemption. And now, Father, in this faith, we pray together the prayer your Son Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.